Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be my review of Scourge of the Past, the new raid that came with the Black Armory DLC in Destiny 2. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always tune in live, twitch.tv slash say no to rage, or follow me on Twitter at say no to rage. I'm going to break this into three parts as I always do, and it will be followed by a question and answer. So if you guys want to submit your questions in chat, feel free to do that with the question command and the questions do show up here on screen. You do have to be following the stream to do that. So push the follow button if you haven't already. First, I want to talk about the gameplay, then the loot, then going forward. But before I get into that, there is just a bit of a general sort of topic I wanted to address before getting into the meat of the talk. And that's sort of how the leveling and the the launch date interplayed with each other before this game, uh, before this raid launched, before it came out. The world's first team was Tier 1 uh, with Giggs and GameSager and Riot and Vendetta, uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on uh, the other names, but... I was very excited for gigs uh, and the tier one guys. I know Connor has been really wanting to get the, you know, the day one completion. So I was very excited for them, but I went back and I kind of looked, okay, what, what did they look like going into this raid? They only had one person below the 41 Delta. They were at 638. Everyone else was 641 or higher, which meant they were basically set up for the last encounter to be at or within within one reach of the Delta. And people are like, what's Delta? Every five levels, so every time you hit a one, 21 and then 26, every time you're one above the five, you do a little bit more damage and you take a little less damage. And then when you're matching the encounter, there's no differential. So you're not taking more or less damage, you're matching the encounter. So obviously when you go into endgame content, if you equip a bunch of gear and make yourself really weak, you're going to die lightning fast. Uh, and conversely, when you match the encounter, it's going to feel more appropriate, which is why when, you know, the as I'm playing right now, the Forge, when the Forge first launched, people were so frustrated because it was just without, you know, outside of their reach. So... I think that's worth noting. I'm never going to take away from a team getting Worlds first. They got Worlds first. They beat it before everybody else. They, you know, they beat the encounters. They solved the stuff and they found out what was needed and came up with strategies and won. But it is worth noting that compared to the rest of the community and even my team, they have a significant advantage within the way that the raid is built. Uh, even Giggs himself admitted on Twitter the reason this was beat so fast World's first run was basically two hours he's like well there wasn't a bunch of people well below the Delta this time around everyone was well within reach of the Delta of the leading teams and then teams like mine we weren't in terrible shape but I mean we had to drop one of our players because he had one day in the grind he couldn't you know he couldn't get the grind done so I think that's important within the dialogue of what we're talking about. I'm giving my review of the raid as it's been designed, but as far as how it's delivered and the launch and the power leveling and everything and so much RNG, you know, playing a part in what people got and people game the system. They save bounties, they save engrams, they do things to get around the natural leveling restrictions and they get to bypass those. I think that kind of sullies the entire thing, which is why since Wrath of the Machine, I haven't cared about a single world's first raid because the difference between the teams that lead and the difference, you know, the people that have all the power level advantages and the people that don't is a combination of both RNG as well as just figuring out exploits to get higher than we're really supposed to get. 
people day one getting to 633 uh, by saving bounties and things like that and then when an entire team goes into the raid at the delta or meeting the delta when many of the teams aren't even close I think is 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 a bit of a frustration. I would love to see World's First raids more extended to the community at large and not just the 1% who are able to play this like a career. And I'm including myself in that, by the way. When, I, when I'm able to play for 12 and 16 hours a day because it's my job, the raids and the way the leveling works seems built for me. And that's why I don't defend it because I'm like, this is, really isn't for the community at large. So when the people at the top of the directory and the people that get to, you know, get all the love day one for the raid are defending the early raid launches and defending the leveling system, you have to see how bias laden their opinion is. It greatly, greatly benefits them to have it set up this way. Uh, it's basically built for them, and that's my issue with it. I mean, it's built for me. I'm one of the top-viewed streams every time there's a day that there's a raid, right? We're in the top five. We get great viewership. We get great exposure, but I I still see this as a problem, okay? So I wanted to get that out of the way before I got into the talk because I know people are probably going to comment on how it's too easy. People beat it in two hours. I think if people would have been properly scaled and not at the Delta or even basically over-leveled for the earlier encounters, it might have taken a little bit longer. I was hoping for a five to six hour completion, but when you have people going in that are essentially, in my mind, over-leveled for the way the encounters are structured, you're supposed to go in and feel weak. You're supposed to go in and not feel at level. Now, I don't like sharp Delta. I didn't like the way Last Wish, you know, you got to the second encounter and you were under-leveled. I thought that was extreme given the, the way that so many of us played the amount of hours that so many of us put in and we were still under leveled uh, for the second encounter I don't like a super sharp delta but you, you're supposed to go into content like that and have it feel pretty challenging and difficult and that's one of the ways that they do that but given the nature of the loopholes that does take away from that aspect of it being a raid and feeling hard I want to I make sure we establish that however Almost everything I'm going to say in this video is overwhelmingly positive, uh, so let's start with gameplay. That was a long intro, but I think it needed to be said. Uh, as far as gameplay uh, is concerned, I actually think that this is some of the best and some of the most unique encounters you can experience in all of Destiny. So the opening with the map reading and how you have to you have to work together on the guy with like you, one person has to hit him in the back, one person has to hit him in the front, and then you can actually do damage to him. Uh, I love that. I love his stunning effect, his weapon charge up. That's a really really cool like almost like tiny boss fight. There's a, there's a mechanic and a rhythm to fighting him, and that obviously comes in later. Reading the map and guarding, you know, like leading your guardians through the city on how they're supposed to get where they're supposed to go. I love it. Uh, I love the inclusion of the sparrow. I thought that was such a cool idea to include uh, the sparrow in 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 the moving around the city. Again, these are some of the most unique encounters uh, in all of Destiny because of the nature of including some of these things. I loved it. Uh, the sparrow racing part was is so cool. I don't like how you can fail or die, I mean, and you don't do anything differently. I ran it the same way multiple times yesterday and and two times I got absolutely melted by the ads and another time I didn't get shot by a single ad. I didn't do anything different. I didn't hit walls. I didn't slow down. I, you wouldn't have said I made a mistake 
right? So if you're going for flawless, until everybody gets that sparrow, there is a sparrow that drops in the raid that makes you take less aggro. Until that sparrow is in everybody's hands, I'm not a fan of that, but I did think the sparrow racing part was unique and really creative. Phase one at the end, I think, is an amazing fight. It includes tanks, uh, the the pressure and splitting up the team, and how the shanks show up with different shields, and then the servitor shows up every time. That division of labor and mechanical, you know, requirements, as well as the communication, the strategy, and then just including tanks. You got to be pretty good in a tank, or you're going to get blown up. That's your damage phase. Love that. Really reminded me of Wrath, how most of your damage on the boss is, actually all of your damage on the boss is not coming from your guns, but from tanks, so you have to kind of master the fight, and there's things you can do to kind of navigate getting tanks in a more expeditious way. Awesome. The final boss fight is by far one of the best boss fights I think they've ever built with respect to you split up the team, but then there's things they all have to be doing. You got a guy reading the map, then you got the teams going and getting the berserkers, then they've got to go put those in the tank spots, they got to be listening to the guy up at the front, then we put people on the two people on the buildings to manage the sniper vandals that show up, as well as taking the shield off the big guy and stunning him when he does his attacks. There's like layers of pain and rhythm and things you have to do and I absolutely love how they set this up I think it's a very very well done encounter and it's super super fun the layout of the map like it reminded me of like a call of duty map I'm like trying to find angles how do I hit a how do I hit this sniper where can I stand so that I can hit two snipers but not get hit by the other one like amazing layers of pain that again as I said on the outset I think some of this raid and some of these fights really got undercut and sullied by the fact that it got beat in two hours and everyone was basically over leveled I would love to see Bungie Institute a a global cap on the game before a raid launches just put a global cap so nobody should be, should have been able to get over like 630 okay and then people had to go in and they would have had to dealt with some damage scaling that would have made it take longer I think that would have made this raid quite a bit better now obviously once everybody's at the delta it's more about the fun it's more about the grind and I think that is uh, I think that's pretty good but I think that could have made it uh, a little bit a little bit better now I as far as just playing this okay whether you say it's too hard or too easy, I think the layers of challenge and what you're doing is super, super fun. This is the most fun I've had in a raid since Wrath of the Machine, and everybody knows Wrath is you know near and dear to me. I, I, I still think that was like one of the most fun times we've ever had in Destiny, both with the stream and with content, and I feel very similar about Scourge of the Past. Now let's talk about the loot. This is kind of another area where I think this is a bit of a black eye on the raid, but this could get invested into later. I don't know what Bungie's plans are. The armor looks really, really cool, and I love the color scheme, obviously. The black and the red, again, a return to Wrath and a return to my color scheme, I think is is, is very exciting. But again, there's just a lack of raid perks. There's a lack of thoughtfulness about why would I want to get this armor? Why would I care about this? There's no... If I wear a full set, there's no benefit. There are no in, in, intrinsic perks. And I know they wanted to like, oh, we don't want to restrict player freedom, so they feel like they have to wear this. I still think you're missing out on a, val- a net value. Because like right now, if you run any of the raids in Destiny 2, Leviathan, Eater of Worlds, Spire of Stars, Last Wish, or Scourge of the Past, you don't, you don't need raid perks. So I don't think if they added raid perks, people would be like, I have to wear this armor. I think people would say, you can and it's a benefit. What if there was armor that made you tankier on your sparrow? What if there was armor that... that uh, 
I don't know, made you take less suppression fields from, like, less effect from suppression on the Berserker. So you could, like, build people and spec people out to do different roles. Um, you know, things of that nature. I think they, they, they're, again, they're just missing, they're missing depth that would make the raid gear more exciting. It looks cool, but that's about it. Um, adding a currency so you could reroll armor like we did in Wrath is another gigantic missed opportunity because then you have a reason to run the raid beyond your first three runs. You could say, well, it's worth running at these extra times because I can get this currency and I can reroll some of this armor that maybe, maybe you don't like how it's rolling. And again, maybe you could reroll the armor for a chance to have it, like have a mod in there. I will say there are fallen raid mods. If you played through last wish raid there are like taken armaments taken barrier things like that like taken themed mods that can drop and i think that aspect is leaning towards what we've all been asking for but i think in bungie's mind they just want to continue to give people that freedom to say well i really want to wear the raid that you know the armor that i want i'll just go for the raid mods and then i'll put those in if that's the path forward then at least have them dropping more often maybe every encounter one mod should drop in addition to your gear just enabling you to feel like there's at least some semblance of quote-unquote raid perks in the pool uh generally those mods in last wish were hardly ever showing up and they only seem to drop from the in-between chests, which seems kind of weird if those items are meant to be seen as like a value add. They're not dropping from the encounters themselves, which is strange. One of our mods, Milky, put a post on Reddit as well, basically saying, man, it'd be great if you could grind the raid each week for non-powerful versions of these guns, given that everything is random rolled, both the armor as well as the guns. That would be another way forward. You don't necessarily need the currency. Just let people run the raid eternally for chances at the drops, given that there are random rolls. You could always have maybe lower chance for drops after your first, you know, three completions. So completions four, five, and six, you're still getting drops, but you know, maybe it's not a guaranteed chance of something dropping. Uh, maybe the maybe the chance goes down. So that's that's my thoughts on on the armor. Now my thoughts on the on the guns. I I, I don't understand the thought process behind only doing four guns since this is not a raid layer. Raid layers were a tack on to the missing guns from the first raid. Like, Leviathan was missing guns, okay? The Last Wish raid has a sniper rifle. It has a rocket launcher. It it doesn't have a shotgun. Um, I guess that's true. There's no Last Wish uh, shotgun. And what's the other one? I'm I'm blanking on the other gun from uh, this new raid. Um... There's the shotgun that can roll with trench barrel in kinetic slot, which is really nice. Oh, the scout rifle. The scout rifle can actually roll pretty cool because it does have uh, the uh, the first that we've seen, a scout rifle with box breathing on it and its arc. I happen to think that that scout rifle is going to come in huge if you're one of the rooftop people in the last fight because it'll give you that range and the box breathing will turn it into maybe a miniature sniper against the vandals and the arc will be nice against those captain shields that periodically show up. So I do think the fact that the curated shotgun is a nice replacement to the Ikelos so you can run something like the scout because the scout's an energy weapon or some of the other cool energy weapons in the game. I like that. I like the scout. The exotic does look really cool the exotic grenade launcher does look really cool but I just I am curious about the complete lack of other guns part of me is concerned that they feel like the 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 forge 
weapon pool is like a combined weapon pool with the raid, but given that there's two rocket launchers, the rocket launcher is garbage uh, for this raid. I don't know why now, you know, two times in a row, we've gotten bad rocket launchers from the raid. I'm not, I'm just really never sure what Bungie's thinking when they design bad rocket launchers for raids. It doesn't really make uh, a whole lot of sense. Given that, given that we know, you know, Rocket launchers are, are one of the most, you know, favored guns in games like this. People love a good rocket launcher, you know, history of the Gallahorn, you know, especially kind of in everyone's mind. Uh, so that's my thoughts on the loot is that guns are, there are some cool guns in the mix. Definitely guns, you know, worth trying out. And, and if the scout does really land on rooftop strategy at the end, I like that they at least maybe were thoughtful about creating a weapon that's built for the raid. Maybe you don't want to take it everywhere, but the uh, the ability to have box breathing on a scout's kind of a cool idea. That That's a unique perk to scouts. I mean, there aren't, as far as I know, there are not other scouts in the game that can roll with box breathing. They still, in my mind, miss the opportunity to say, here's a curated roll on the rocket, scout, shotgun, um, and they all have, given that they all have the... Uh, the um i'm gonna go get two auto rifle kills primary before we kill this guy because i'm gonna i i want to get the the seeds from him that'll speed things along for me um given given that given that we know they can do curated roles and those curated roles can then have um on them unique perks they are missing that boat in my mind the curated roll on every single raid gun should have a perk that's unique to it, or at least something that is undeniably built either for the raid or, again, a curated roll could have an extra perk. So it's a great gun everywhere, but the curated roll has like an extra perk and it's a raid perk, and maybe it does more damage to certain enemies or something. I don't know. So let's go with the last section called Going Forward. I really think whenever you're running content like this, uh, more guns are, are is is a key, I think, to part of the enjoyment. Um, that's a great role. More more guns is part of the key of the enjoyment, I think. And I the, the, adding more guns in the future is something I hope they do. Maybe they're going to do challenges. Maybe they're going to do different versions. Maybe they're just going to say, "Hey, um, the raid changes week to week," or maybe the raid changes. You know, maybe they decide to expand the weapon pool next season. I don't know, but I would love to see more weapons added. And again, my concern of them seeing the forge and the raid having a similar, you know, weapon pool. There are two rocket launchers. There's a rocket launcher in the the pool of the forge and the raid. So hopefully they don't see them as a combined pool. Um, and then people thinking about the size of the raid and complaining. In my mind, this is not a raid layer because it's basically the exact same size as Wrath of the Machine. The first encounter in Wrath of the Machine is so silly and so easy. The first encounter is this is quite a bit more complex. So in my mind, I, I take the first encounter in this and I put that on par with encounter one and two in Wrath. Because encounter one and two in Wrath, I mean, if you take them as a set and, and kind of count them as one encounter... The, I mean, the opening of Wrath, you're not doing anything. You're, you're bit literally just standing around killing ads and throwing balls. There's nothing particularly challenging about it. Um, and then obviously you have to charge them up. The opening encounter of this is quite a bit more complex. And then I would say the Sparrow Race is is on par with the uh, the Siege Engine. Siege Engine is quite a bit more complex. I, I will admit that. I will admit that. 
Siege Engine is more complex than the Sparrow Race, but they're both unique sort of movement-oriented encounters that don't have a boss. Phase 1 of Axis is pretty basic and not that interesting. I think Phase 1 of Scourge of the Past is way cooler than Phase 1 of Axis. Um, so I think Scourge of the Past wins points there. It's more complex, more, you know, more elaborate with what you're required to do. Um, and then when we think about just the nature of the final boss fight, this is on par, if not better in some respects than the Axis fight with the layers of splitting the team up, requiring you to do different things, and then strategy making you more efficient. If you manage to do really good damage cycles with those buffs that you get, those like you get the phase synergy. It really reminds me of Wrath. I mean, I I think this raid wins in some respects over Wrath with complexity. So that's why I just, I put it on par with the length, the complexity, and the fun of Wrath of the Machine. So that doesn't feel like a raid layer to me. If you really think about Eater of Worlds, Eater of Worlds is nothing. Eater of Worlds is two, is two encounters. I don't even count the opening encounter as an encounter. Like, jumping across plates is not an encounter. So you basically have two encounters at the end with the crystals and then with the actual boss fight itself. So this is significantly better than Eater of Worlds. Spire of Stars was quite a a step up. The intro to Spire of Stars was really, really fun. And then obviously you had the in-between and the in-between wasn't really challenging unless you were going for... Uh, unless you were going for the, you know, the the unlock of the chest, then it made it take a little bit more time. But that was definitely, you know, a step up from Eater, and I think this is a step above the two of those. So I think it's fair to say this is a raid, not a raid layer, kind of in my in my conclusion here. So full marks from me on this raid. A couple marks taken away. A couple marks taken away with respect to the loot pool. Uh, you know, being being lacking, but overall very satisfied with this raid. It feels like home, and I'm excited to run a lot with people, and I'm also excited to get some of the guns because I haven't gotten any good drops from the guns yet. I just kept getting armor. So we're going to transition to Q&A. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always tune in live, twitch.tv slash say no to rage. As with all of my content, I appreciate you guys watching or listening. Please like, share, and subscribe.